Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone.
check out her website, and that's uh, Skyships Over Cashiers, you'll find that every time she has an area of interest, she spins it into an article and possibly ultimately into a book. She is probably one of the most creative and manifestational people I have ever met, and I am so thrilled that she is with us tonight. Welcome, Mary. I'm glad you're back again. Thank you. It's always good to talk to you. Oh, you you always bring a wealth of information, and you send me into research every time, so it's it's a true joy to have you here. Um, we were going to talk about some of the things that you had on your website, and then you suggested that we look into um, Joseph of Arimathea, and it, it's really fascinating because I have recently, in some of the books that I've read for the interviews that I've been doing, his name keeps coming up, and and it's it's a name that most people recognize um, for the crucifixion, of course, and and yet there's so much more to his story, and I feel that you know it's coming out in dribs and drabs all over the place. And and you mentioned that you know it would be interesting to talk about him at this particular time of the year. Absolutely, and you know everybody just knows about this rich man named uh, Joseph of Arimathea who gave his tomb. Uh, for Jesus after the crucifixion. That's about all you see in the Bible, and that's about all anybody might know about the man. And yet he was actually an uncle of Jesus, a great uncle of Jesus, and he played a role in Jesus' life throughout his entire life. And one of the and and this comes together from many different sources, and I'll kind of share that with you and your viewers. Uh, the first hint that Joseph of Arimathea was not just a rich man who just happened to help out, was the fact at the time of Jesus, anybody who was executed was thrown into a common pit after they died. The only exception was if a blood relative came and claimed the body. That was the only only way. Joseph of Arimathea claimed the body. So he had uh, a family tie or he would not have been given the body. So that's the first hint that this man played a more instrumental role. Now, in the research that I've done, which goes back uh, with the old uh, Jewish Talmud and the Harlequin, uh, not Harlequin, Harlenian uh, manuscripts and some of the earliest writings by the Eastern Church, there's a lot more about Joseph of Arimathea. And I should really stress that the Eastern Church is older than the European or the Western Church. Uh, there, In my book, I have a picture of um, the first underground church that was in Jordan. It was sort of like in a cave, and uh, that was the first century. So there was nothing uh, like that in Europe or any other place in the world before that. And there, t- all of those places or all of those sources that I've mentioned all talk about Jesus being uh, taken care of by Joseph of Arimathea after Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, died. And again, we go back to the customs of that time. Um, A widow and her children would be taken care of by the closest male relative. And in this case, it was Mary's uh, uh, father's youngest brother, and that was Joseph of Arimathea. So that kind of begins to give you an idea of how he uh, played a role in Jesus' life. And I don't want to go on just with a monologue. You can jump in any time you want here. (laughs) 
No, I you know this this um, this part of it I'm familiar with, but um, and, and I think that uh, you know from various sources it, it it certainly has become known that he was a a traitor and that he traveled greatly and that he took Jesus with him. So that, um, so he had a lot of credentials uh, regarding the travels. He he actually, in addition to being like in the Sahedrin or the uh, Jewish governing council uh, and court. He also worked for the Romans, and he had a title called uh, called Nobilius um, Decurio. He was in charge of the Roman uh, tin mines in um, southwestern Britain in the Cornwall area. And so in that capacity, he traveled on a regular basis between uh, the Holy Land and southwestern um, uh, England. And there are legends and there's actual concrete uh, information that backs it up that Jesus traveled with him as a young boy. And one of the things um, was that there is a place where he stopped his ship to get water and Jesus would help him get water from a well that was uh, at the mouth of the Camel River. To this day, there is a well there that's called the Jesus Well. And, um, you know, obviously it wasn't covered over originally, but then there was this, like, very small uh, stone structure uh, that was built over this well. And today it is in the middle of the St. Indigot's um, golf course. And so if you can imagine a fairway, all of a sudden there is a, a square pit in the middle of this golf course uh, and it goes down, I'm, I'm guessing, I don't really have the dimensions, but to look at the photo that I have in the book, uh, it looks like it goes down, you know, uh, maybe a couple yards, and just the top of this um, well uh, sticks up uh, into what looks like to be a fairway. Um, so that's just one of the remnants in that part of the world that indicates that Jesus really was there as a boy. Um, had you heard about that well before? I've I've heard about the well, um, and and there I think one of the things that is so fascinating is that you know we we hear about him being born and then we suddenly see him taking up his practice, um, his his um, his preaching and and his mission, but but you know for for all of those years in between there is so little known of his life that uh, you know it, it's. I, I, everybody accepts a great deal on faith, and yet there's always the desire to know, you know, what happened to him. You know, wh- what was he like as a child? Did he travel? Um, I mean, there are legends that there are there are. I think someplace in um, Tibet, there's a monastery that actually has the um, uh, proof that that he did visit the monastery at one time. So we know that he did travel. But but we aren't really sure exactly what he did with those first 33 years. So um, working with Joseph of Arimathea and, and traveling around to give him a better perspective of life in other places so that he had a better foundation of wisdom that had been gathered to be able to, to work into his preaching and, and into um, many of his parables. Well, the only place in the world uh, where there are um, uh, stone um, crosses that are called tunic crosses 
and uh, at the at that time of Jesus, uh, young boys before they went through their bar mitzvah um, always wore short tunics. Well, they show these tunic crosses in Cornwall, and it shows a young boy still wearing the short tunic with his arms stretched out like in blessing. And I've got four pictures of, of those. They're very worn, but you can still see them. Um, another indication of how um, Jewish that really was in that area is that the old mining uh, places were called Jews' houses. Or uh, the, uh, there's one that's on an old map. It's called the Wheel of Jesus. And a wheel was the name that was used at that time um, to refer to these uh, tin mines. And I've got photos again in the book that show um, uh, old mines, not that old, but you can see the wheels that were used, um, you know, like pulleys to get uh, yes. uh, stuff out of the ground. And so there's still one that's known as the Wheel of Jesus. So he probably spent a great deal of time there. Um after after the crucifixion, you know, there are rumors. There are some who have the philosophy that, that Jesus did survive. And I find it fascinating if that was the case, and, and this is just philosophical, there's no absolute proof, but but the the uh, rumors are out there, so it's, it's fair game to, to say that they are, that, that um, I'm not sure where... Jesus went, but there is a rumor that Joseph of Arimathea went to England, and that's where he died. Yes, and, and there's stories about that, too. Uh, what I've been talking about, though, is during the, the life of Jesus that he actually traveled. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, again, uh, I'm referring to my, my book. It's called Tangible Evidence of Jesus Left Behind for Us to Find. And, basically, it, it, it comes up, I have all this different information about Jesus that's certainly way beyond what's in the Bible, um, and it just broadens out uh, the understanding of who Jesus really was, and the Bible simply doesn't give us very much information, and uh, no, and, as I, and it was so well, um, I don't know, edited and manipulated and carved up and cut to pieces and um, I think there were originally, I, I couldn't give you the number right now, but I know I have it in my book. It's like 50 Gospels that were um, essentially uh, tossed aside uh, that were never put in the Bible. I can't say that they're all uh, of great validity, but some of them are. And uh, there's you know, just an abundance of information if we just uh, you know, dig and find it. Like I said, the second part of that title is Tangible Evidence, evidence of Jesus left behind for us to find. And more uh-huh. and more of that information is coming out. Uh, you had mentioned about him going uh, to uh, Tibet and to the monasteries there. And uh, um, let's see if I can remember names. Uh, the woman who was in, who started the Montessori schools, um, first in yeah. Europe and then in the United States, uh, led a group of, um, let's say, pilgrims into the monasteries in Tibet, and while they were there, one of the, um, uh, like a librarian monk, um, came out with this um, book, which not, is not like a book we have. They have more like a, a rolled-up scroll type of book, mm-hmm. and he brought it out, and this is a simple quote. He, he told them, these books say your Jesus was here. 
And when you think about the Buddhist teachings and you think about many of the principles that Jesus taught, it does seem like the Buddhist, many of the Buddhist traditions were woven into uh, the lessons that Jesus shared. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that it, it's a shame because knowing a little bit um, uh, a little bit more about his life makes him a more more real than you know the Bible gives gives him credit for because you know they they really don't let you know where he studied and how he studied and and you know where his wisdom came from aside from directly from God but but you know he was human. And he had a human life as well as being um, a deity. And and it, it's just knowing a little bit more about his life makes him more real in all ways round. That's so, right. And uh, he w- his purpose was to come to earth and live as a human being and help elevate humankind. Mm-hmm. And you can't do that if you're just floating in the sky. You have to get down and <laughs> and, and be with people. Exactly, and and it makes it easier to relate to him and and accept his teachings when you learn about you know how he spent his youth and the travels that he went into and and the 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 hints that he left behind. I mean, that's two thousand years of you know hints that that are there if you look hard enough for them. And uh, certainly, and there's also um, a lot of indications that. After the um, crucifixion, he did appear to other places in the world. Um, there's a book that uh, came out in 1963. It's called He Walked the Americas, and it was done mm-hmm. by uh, an archaeologist, and um, her name, I think, was L. Taylor Hansen. And she spent 25 years gathering tribal legends about a mysterious pale godlike healer and teacher who visited tribes throughout the Western Hemisphere, um, you know, about the time of of, uh, Jesus or after the crucifixion. And I say after the crucifixion because some of the descriptions from the old legends that predate the arrival of the white man talk about him having uh, marks on his palms. Wow. And some of the stories that he shared with them are really very much like the ones that we have heard in parables. He talks about the little lost lamb in the Bible, and mm-hmm. one of the at least one of the legends from one of the tribes, uh, he teaches the same lesson with the little lost llama, or yeah, the animal. Yeah. So uh, uh, he he I, as far as I can see, he was trying to touch as much of the world as he could. Yeah, and there's also legends that that he uh, returned to, I think, India, and they knew him as, as Asa. Right. And, um, so, so that his his message is, you know, has survived beyond the manipulation. Those who wrote the Bible, um, I mean, in, in all of these other places, there's peace, love, and harmony that he's preaching as opposed to, you know, creating the foundations for a major religion and stuff like that. He had a message he was giving out, and, you know, the people who wrote the Bible used him as their cornerstone, but kind of went above and beyond the call of duty, so to speak. Uh, so, that, would, I, that would elevate their motivation. 
Yeah. Not sure. Not and sure that's justified. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not saying it is either. But they, if if their if their purpose was to create a major religion, they did a good job. And and I I just think that his message was so much more profound. If it had been handled more simply, it might have spread and taken root in more places than it actually did. Um, I, I think that uh, I sometimes wonder, you know, I, you know, if you could, if you could get him to sit down and talk today, I, I think he'd be a little horrified at the uh, at the route that that his teachings have taken. But but, you know, the message is out there, and if you can peel away a lot of the other stuff, the message is pure and simple and still there for for anybody to grab onto and hold and live by. So. You know, it, it was, um, it's been manipulated, but the truth, the seed of it is still there. But as um, a child... Well, oh, go ahead. No, I, I was going to say, as a child, I mean, he, you kind of, you know, you hear all these stories about him and you think, oh my gosh, he was so saintly and constantly preaching wonderful stuff. But he was also a child. And so mm-hmm. there there had to be an education of sorts that went on that that was not, you know... Son of God's Savior, it was like, you know, 12, 13, 14-year-old, this is the way we live and these are the rules we live by. So that the fact that Joseph of Arimathea, uh, you know, took him traveling and he, he did see the world. And um, I don't know, I kind of, I see such a similarity in him and and the Buddha and, and you know, some of the other um, prophets figures that have been in in this world they all seem to have the same flavor and um has just got blown out of proportion i think that through uh, scattered through time uh there have been evolved enlightened ones in one form or another who uh have come uh to uplift mankind and of course uh-huh. the buddha and jesus would probably be the most well known but there were there were ones before that and um you know, Zoroaster and uh, I don't know, I'm going to go blank on names tonight, but um, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's just the way it is. But uh, one of the things that I got very strongly in doing the book, Tangible Evidence, is that um, was to show that you could live a godly life and still live a fully human life. And uh-huh. the um, Catholic Church of you know, uh, not today, but in the past, was very, very male-oriented. Um, they took out things about women in a major way, and uh, so quick to um, to put uh, like with Mary Magdalene, uh, they put yeah. her down as the um, you know uh, possessed evil woman um, uh-huh. who, who Jesus saved. In reality, and this comes from many of the ancient writings, she was one of the uh, primary uh, followers of Jesus and um, most likely understood his teachings better than the uh, fishermen disciples and uh, was greatly resented by people like Peter because uh, he just didn't understand why Jesus you know, acknowledged her and just treated her really like an equal um, over the men. I mean, he was just very upset by that. Um, but there is, and this is the part that traditional Christians 
have to open their minds and at least consider. If you consider the idea that he was to live a fully human life, but to live it in a way that presented the highest possible uh, spiritual aspect that uh, could come through a human being, then you have to realize that he led that life fully. And there is increasing evidence that he was married. Um, There was a book that came out um, in 2012. It was by Dr. James uh, Tabor, um, who's with the Department of Religious Studies at uh, the University of North Carolina. And the book was called The Jesus Discovery. And one part of that, uh, you know, sticks in my head. I don't have to even look at notes. Uh, they found an, um, a tomb, and it, the, during a very uh, short period of time, like 100 years, around the time of Jesus, the way they buried people was they would go out and uh, like create um, a tomb like in a hillside. And the, it, they were all designed pretty much the same. You would go in through the entranceway, and there would be like a square um, area that would be like the center court. And then on the other three walls, there would be niches that would go out from there. And the custom at that time was they would, once somebody died, they would put their body in that main room and close it up for a year so that uh, only after a year's time in that kind of climate, only the bones would be left. So then Uh they would reopen the tomb and put the bones in a stone box called an ossuary. And those would then be placed in these niches in the family tombs. Well, they found the family tomb of Jesus, and it was the custom at that time that the most important person was buried in the niche to the right as you came into the tomb. And in this particular tomb, there are three ossuaries. One is Jesus, son of Joseph. One is... um, uh, a familiar form of the name Mary or Miriam, um, but it has a title with it, which is something like Mar, and it means like Lord, uh, as a that would be applied to a female. And then uh-huh. there was a third one that said uh, Jude, son of Jesus. So those three were in that same niche, in the position of the most important one, and they have done. They did. Um, DNA analysis comparing um, the remnants that were left in there uh, uh-huh. in these ossuaries and the female and and the one that's labeled as Jesus, there is no family uh, DNA similarity. So it wasn't a mother or a sister or you know a cousin or somebody like that. It's somebody who yeah. had a total different genetic line, um, which is very interesting. Uh, also, on the woman's uh, or on Mary's uh, ossuary, um, it uses the familiar name uh, for Mary, the, you know, like almost like a nickname or, you know, okay. showing just some, a familiar form. That was not Jewish custom. Jewish custom was to be very formal. And then in another niche on another wall, there are um, other ossuaries with names that are familiar from the um, New Testament. One of those also had a nickname, and I don't know how Jesus pronounced it, but it was the nickname for his brother Joseph, and it was like uh, 
in English it would be J-O-S-E, Josie. So there's uh-huh. another nickname. It's the way Jesus referred to his brother, and here it again, it is in an ossuary. Uh, and this whole thing with the burial goes way beyond that because there is a rich man's tomb uh, very close to where the family tomb of Jesus is, and it is believed to be that of Joseph of Arimathea, um, first of all, because he was a known rich man, uh, second, because he was a follower of Jesus, and he also violated Jewish custom because he had a fish um, etched on his um, ossuary. Um, Jewish tradition at that time was you had no um, symbols of animals or, you know, anything, you know, or humans or anything of that nature uh, drawn on an ossuary, and yet here was the fish. And the fish had been used by Jesus in teaching about reincarnation. So, it, you know, he was, uh, Joseph of Arimathea was there at, um, from the time that Jesus was a boy until he died. Now, were they able to carbon date this to that time frame? As I understand it, yes. Now, I can't quote you data on that off the top of my uh-huh. head. Um but um, Dr. Tabor is a, is a very, very good researcher, and uh, um, I probably have already forgotten the name of the book, The Jesus Discovery, or I'll get it straight for you because somebody might want to read it. Um, yeah, uh, it, it, it's called you know, The it's, Jesus Discovery by James D. Tabor, T-A-B-O-R. I think that that you know it's fascinating because there have been a lot of you know um, archaeological shows on that you know go into the different um, aspect of Jesus's life and and I find it fascinating because you you kind of can tell when they were made by what they preach you know by what they're they're putting out there as you know this is this and then you know that you know ten years later it's 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 changed now they have the the uh, garden tomb that they they say is the tomb of Jesus and yet i this would suggest that it's not i think the garden tomb was found first i believe uh-huh. i'm not sure i i don't want to give false information uh but this is known as the uh family tomb of Jesus i think that's fantastic i mean it's it doesn't diminish him in any way i think no that, no you know We know how hard it is to be human. So if somebody can be fully human and be um, uh, as much of the light as he was, then Uh um, that's to be admired. Well, yeah, and, you know, when you think about it, um, the body is just a vehicle. Correct. So uh, it's the spirit that moves on, and so therefore it's, it's, it's not a big deal to say he ascended because he did, mm-hmm. and 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 the the body was no longer needed, so it was left behind. Um, I you know, and it doesn't make him any less by the fact that you know he left the body behind, and his teachings are still just as valid and just as amazing. Um, I, I know that uh, with all the research that's going on today, there's so much that is. is that they are discovering about the life and times of Jesus and, and what he did as he grew up and, and, you know, what he worked at before he decided, he, he went on his, his mission, his journey as far as a spiritual teacher. And, and it's a very exciting thing. I, I, 
I think it's very sad the Bible doesn't include any of this in it because it would make him so much more real to so many. Mm-hmm. Another thing that supports the idea that he was married, and there's more than just a couple, um, uh, Harvard Divinity School professor Karen L. King back in, again, 2012, there was a lot being discovered then, um, she got one of these um, uh, old pieces of parchment which had been just a, you know, it's just a, a, like a torn piece from a parchment. And in that dry climate, it survived. And um, in in the book, I show a photo of it and uh, explain the process that they went through to have it, you know, dated and, uh, um, I don't know, confirmed in every way that it was real. And there are three lines from that that um, I think are worth mentioning, uh, and they're incomplete because this is a torn segment. And Uh uh, line four on this segment says, Jesus said to them, quote, my wife. Line five, again, it's just a portion of it. She uh, She will be able to be my disciple. And line seven, as for me, I dwell with her in order to and those are just the fragments, but the fragments um, certainly imply that um, uh, he was married. Jesus said to them, my wife. Well, in during that time frame, uh, rabbis, and they called him rabbi, rabbis were married. Absolutely. So, it, so, so I'm it not real sure how this, this celibate thing got started. It would not have been considered at all normal. And even though they don't mention... Uh, the wives of the disciples, I think it comes up kind of offhanded about, and again, I'm not sure, I can, you can't quote me on this one, but it's like Peter refers briefly to his mother-in-law or something, mm-hmm. but they were married. You know, they were oh, yeah. fishermen and that went out and worked. Um, but I, if they I had been a bunch of unmarried men out there, it would have been considered very weird at that time. <laughs> I, I do believe that, that it was a couple hundred years later that the celibacy came along. It was it was not something that Jesus even suggested. And, and there's been a lot of speculation that perhaps the wedding at Cana was his wedding. Uh, I, I believe that. It would make it, sense. It makes a whole lot I mean, of sense. Uh, again, I'm not a good Bible quoter, but um, um, there was something about uh, Mary being concerned about the wine and, yeah, and, he, and why would she something. be concerned about the wine for anybody else's wedding yeah no that makes great sense and and yeah yeah you know i think i think he becomes a richer person when you when you discover his humanity too you know his mother told him to do something about the wine and he made wine right i mean you know yeah you do that but um yeah i think that that uh mary magdalene was um definitely a, an amazing disciple and she continued his his um ministry after he died um so that so that i mean in france especially there's there's a tremendous amount of reverence shown to her and legend has it that she did she did go to france after the crucifixion. Right. And because of the, um, um, you know, they were killing off Jews. And yeah. um, 
some of the disciples after the death of uh, uh, Jesus, they escaped by boat and ended up in the south of France. And to this day, there is a, a place called the Three Marys uh, where they landed. And, uh, you know, if you have scholars in, in your in your audience, um, there is a gospel called the Gospel of the Beloved Companion. And uh-huh. it appears to be the oldest Christian book in existence and reveals more about the life and teachings of Jesus than the other gospels of the Bible. Now, if somebody doesn't have the time, the money, or the energy or to go out and read all these books, um, I have deliberately brought out the most important things from these the, this kind of research and put it into this book, Tangible Evidence of Jesus, uh, because people need to know this, and it needs to be put in a form that's easy to read. And I've done it like I do the website. There's lots of photos and lots of visuals to go with it, and I try the, I've tried the best I can to um, put it in a very readable, concise form simply because I know people, uh, their time is just so valuable. Well, all of your books are, I mean, I've got them all, and and I loan them out on a very regular basis because they are um, they're an easy read. That doesn't mean that they're simplified. It just means that they're easy to read, and and you put the information out there, and you don't con- you, you don't confuse it. You you make it as simple as possible, so that it is. It is a book that you can get through. You can get you can get through most of your books in a day, and and come away with a lot of aha moments. And the pictures are are amazing. Um, you're you know to change just just deviate for a second. Uh, Bigfoot Beyond the Footprints. Um, I can't tell you how many people I've loaned it to, and and they all come away with they all they all say they cried. Um, oh. <laughs> Which we, I, I, I've, I've loaned it to about five different people, and all of them said I had to sit and cry. Wow. Be- because you you gave another spin on, on it with facts and made them realize that these weren't monsters, that these were, though not people like us, they were people. And, and, and the real. American Indians have always regarded them as another clan of people. Mm-hmm. It's only but, the but invaders of the continent that, uh, <laughs> you know, want to treat them as uh, some, you know, totally animal-like, oh, yeah. you know, and, and well, that's, yeah, that's really I did, sad. I did want to make sure that I told you that because um, your book absolutely touched their hearts. And, and I mean, I, I love all your books, um, Bigfoot especially because, it it just made them. They're not they're not you know teddy bears by any means. But, oh no, uh uh-uh. But they have a right to their own space, their own time, and their own lives, and we have no right to take any of that from them. So um, so it was it, it you know I, if I had to recommend one, it would be Bigfoot, but then it would be um, the the. Uh, the evidence, tangible evidence of Jesus left behind for us to find because because it does, I, what I love about your books is you put enough information out there to make people want to read more and want to go learn more and want to educate themselves more. 
and and I think that's that's a real gift and a real talent because it, it means that you're sending them on a journey of discovery for themselves. And when people discover stuff themselves, it becomes richer and more firmly ingrained within them. So, you know, kudos they, on all I, that. I know that um, I was not a teacher for, for very long, but I did teach for like a year and a half, I think. And when you're teaching, you're learning like crazy because you have to make oh, sure yeah. you fully understand it and uh you know, when you have to teach, you have to learn. And uh, so the getting people to um, get excited about learning is, I think, very important. Uh, we can't let our curiosities die. Oh, gosh, no. And that's that's the purpose of, of Nightlight. It's kind of like let's let's put stuff out there. Let's make people curious and, and, you know, maybe even think they're crazy and have to research to prove that we're not. Or, you know, just... If if we make people think, if we make people start to, to search and research themselves, then our work here is done because you've opened up a, a portal of information and wisdom that, that no, no classroom could ever cram down their throats. Absolutely. But, you know, when, when you, I taught for 25 years, and, and the, the hardest thing to do was to not give everything out to make them reach for something and want to find it themselves because once that happened, then learning takes place. Right. And think how much we've learned since we got out of school. Oh, my gosh. If you have a curiosity. You know, I, I, I had four years of college. I have two master's degrees, and, I, and none of that gave me any of the information that I gather and I, and I use today. Um, I, I, you know. I, I hear what you're saying. Um, one of the things that I find the most, uh, not the most, I, I keep, nothing's the most, I find it frustrating that some people are so locked into the King James Version of the Bible, they think that God speaks that way, and the reality is that King James, back in the 1600s, wanted to have the Bible in the language of the people of his time, and he didn't even have good language um, specialist to be doing the interpretations. Um, and so people are limiting themselves if they just go by the Bible, and, and the King James is not God speaking. And um, um, I don't know. They've got to, they can't, people can't be afraid um, to learn more. Because God designed us to have curiosities and to learn more and to stretch and become more than we are. He did not intend for us to put ourselves in boxes. And we, we live in a society where a lot of people have done that. Oh, sure. And King James had it, had it, printed in the, the, the language of the court so that the common people wouldn't understand what was happening. And and you know King James. I mean, if you really want to want to really make yourself a tad sick, then, you know, look into King James. He was a dirty old man, um, and happily he didn't. Well, he was more than a dirty old man, but but happily he didn't actually write the Bible. He commissioned it. That's correct. So so that he didn't have a great deal of influence on any of it. I hope. Um, but you know there there are. Speaking of the Bible, there are 
there is a, a gospel according to Mary and a gospel according to Thomas, and I believe Thomas was in one of the Dead Sea Scrolls, too. I would think you're correct. So so that so that, you know, there are these gospels out there that probably had had validity to be to be put into the Bible but weren't. And, you know, the the Catholic Church now kind of just says, Oh, don't pay attention to them but but you know, the, especially Thomas had a lot of quotations um that Jesus had made that that didn't make it into the final edition of the Bible when they put it together. Um, the people that I have, I have family members who say that the Bible is inspired writing and when God was done, he decided he wasn't going to write anymore and he moved on. And much as I love my family members, I, I, I have thought, oh, come on, I'll give you inspired writing, but, you know, you can't tell me that you know, God is off in another universe and no one else has ever been inspired because that's just not true. Right. So so that there are a lot of these outside the Bible books, texts, um, you know, material that are just as valid and just as rich in wisdom and to to restrict yourself to just a book that was put together by, you know, Helena and Constantine and Eusebius, um, doesn't make sense. Right. I mean if if Jesus was preaching his wisdom to everybody then there there must have been a couple of, you know, texts that should have been in the Bible that weren't that are worth reading and worth worth looking into. Since you're bringing and, up family, um, I will I, I will bring up my own my own dad and uh, uh he I, I he must have been much smarter than uh, he's no longer living, but he had to have been more uh, had more brains than I have because he actually could read Hebrew and Greek, and when he he went to the Oberlin Graduate School of Theology and later blended with Vanderbilt, and he was part of the team that did the translation for the Revised Standard Version of the Bible. He's the first one that really got me thinking about um, what the words really mean, and one of the things that stuck in my head since childhood was he, he pointed out that the word virgin uh, you know, which means uh, one thing in our society today. But he said back then the the original word simply meant a young woman. There was no uh-huh. indication of chastity or no chastity. And uh, yeah. uh, as a as a very young person, uh, that just stuck in my head. And so I began to realize how important um, the translations can be. And how just the the change of a word just a little bit can change the context of something totally. Well, I mean, you know, since you're since you're going this direction, um, a good reference book for anybody who's really looking into stuff is is Strong's Concordance, because what they did is they went through the Bible and they took every word back to its original language it was written in and what it meant during that time, and. Um, in 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 the Bible, when they speak of the heavens, you know, and and such, they're they're not talking about you know palaces in the clouds. They're talking about the sky, mm-hmm. Be- because the original meaning for heavens was sky, because it was above. So that that puts a whole other a whole know, different twin on it. Yeah, 
And well, yeah. and you are the first words, you know, in the beginning, God, God made the heaven and earth. That's not what it originally translates to. It, it originally translates to in the beginning, the gods, plural, made mm-hmm. the heavens and the earth, which makes you think a little bit too. So, and I'm not saying don't 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 pay attention to your Bible because it's a wonderful collection, but it's it's just a collection. There's a lot more out there too. You can add to the collection and enrich the wisdom that you have to, you know, blend into your own uh, life and and your own way of dealing with with situations that confront you. Don't restrict yourself just that. I mean, I'm not I'm not down I'm not trashing the Bible. I'm just saying there were more applicants to the book that made it in. And, well, and in, in my book, I do list, and I, I should have maybe counted them before you and I started to talk, but there must be 50 Gospels that um, weren't included, uh-huh. and I list them by name. Um, you know, and you can take any of those and start to explore them. So if you if you want to use this as a jumping-off block, um, that this book certainly will do that. Um, I actually start the book off with descriptions of Jesus um, there is a, I'm sure he's not living any, anymore, but there was an um, archaeologist who, uh, Raymond Capp, uh, C-A-P-T, and he had credentials both in Scotland and the United States. He did extensive research. Much of it had to do uh, with Jesus. And he found uh, two letters. Uh, one was written by Pontius Pilate to um, Tiberius Caesar, and then there was mm-hmm. another uh, Roman, who I really know nothing about him, uh, but he also wrote a letter to um, uh, Caesar, and they were just both of them in one way or another were describing how Jesus looked. Now I remember seeing, uh, a t- you know, everybody's locked into Jesus must have looked like everybody else around him, and according to these letters, he didn't. Um, uh, let's see. It talks about him, um, all right, here's a sentence. What a contrast between him and his bearers with their black beards and tawny complexions. Um, And they referred to him as having uh, golden-colored hair and a beard, um, you know, that was similar. Um, The descriptions among the ancient legends in the Western Hemisphere also describe him that way. Uh, They describe him as having light eyes, uh, one of them described his eyes as being like changeable, like the ocean or like the sea. Mm-hmm. Um, so he uh, was of a lighter complexion. Now, this I would have to go back and do my own, you know, research to confirm this. But somewhere or another, I read that the mother of Mary uh, was originally from the British Isles. So that could explain some of the uh, lighter features. Exactly, and there there are, um, I don't know which book I was reading it in, but, but when they were talking about the Holy Grail, they said sometimes there there were three, and it wasn't, one was a cup, one was a plate, one was a book, and, and there was, no, and there was another one that was a carving of the head of Jesus, you know, a, a, you know, a, a bust of him, and you know, we the only thing that we refer back to are, you know, the the Renaissance pic, pictures of what he what he appeared to be. You know, you don't know what really he looked like, and yet it, it's it's interesting because every 
every culture that that describes Jesus, they describe Jesus as one of their their uh, their culture or or you know what they look like. So there are black Jesuses and there are Indian Jesuses, right. and, and I, I think it's fascinating in that it, it does suggest that his words and his philosophies and his teachings translate into whatever society he has to be in so that he was always one of them. He wasn't a stranger. Correct. But even among, he, he visited apparently many, many d- tribes throughout the Western Hemisphere after the crucifixion, and uh-huh. they were all different, but they all described him as being more of the lighter features, and they were in a world where nobody had features like that. Well, having a having a, a mother, you know, a grandmother who was from uh, Great Britain would certainly do it. Um, that, that certainly would. And so. you know, there 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 are some that 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 say that that you know the ones that wore the beards um, were um, was it the Essenes or what? That that commonly they didn't have the beards. So that so that he may easily have been clean shaven as well. Hmm. No, that I don't so, know about. Has to do with the hair being cut and stuff like that. I, I think they're the Nazarene. I, I think there the, there the was Naz- there's the Nazarenes and there's uh, the Nazarites. The uh-huh. Nazarites, if I have this correct, are the ones that are the more stringent in their belief. They wouldn't cut their beards. They had their their whole code of living was much more strict. Uh, uh-huh. Just to be a Nazarene did not imply that you had all these strict followings. I don't know if I'm accurate now, in what now, I'm I, saying. That's what I know now, as of this moment. Okay, so I've read it somewhere, and I've read so much lately, I can't tell you where it was. But it had to do with the fact that sometimes for a year, they did things like fasting and not cutting their hair and not shaving, but it was only for a year. And then after that year's time, whether they were in mourning for something or whether they were going through some sort of cleansing for um, some sort of uh, rite, but that, that traditionally um, they they didn't have the long hair and the, and the beards. So, um, but, but, you know, we're going back 2,000 years, and y- there's no knowing. Mm-hmm. what the traditions were at the time. We we just are assuming from the pictures that we've seen and the stained glass windows that we've seen that that's what Jesus looked like. And he probably didn't look anything like he's been depicted, which is kind uh, of cool. That's a, that's a real good possibility. But, but, but you that's, know, that's probably, the, that's probably should be the least of our concern. Um, it's the other parts that we've been talking about that are uh, more oh, yeah. significant. I mean, his his message has certainly come through, and his teachings have come through, and and they are far more simple than than you know sometimes the churches make out. But you know, basically, he taught the golden rule, and mm-hmm. um, and kindness and compassion and forgiveness. And you know, you incorporate those into your life, and uh, you have a richer life. You may not have a lot of money, but you'll have a richer <laughs> life for sure. <laughs> And I think, uh, I think those that are filthy rich, I don't much care for what I, I'm seeing them doing in our present society right now. 
Well, you know, I've I've often thought, you know, it would be great to win a million dollars, but then I realized if I had a million dollars, I'd spend the rest of my life trying to protect it from people taking it from me. It's easier to <laughs> not have it. Now you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry about that, right? No, not at all. So, <laughs> so, 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 not being rich is really um, freeing. It gives you it makes it, gives you freedom. It is. It's unless safer. You, unless and, you're so dirt poor that you have to worry about everything, and you don't want to be there either. No, I'm I'm not there, but middle ground is a real good place to be, and I and I, I I think that his teachings are 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 still phenomenal, and that if you go to his pure teachings, then you can't go wrong. You truly can't, and life has become so complicated. We you know, and religious churches tend to make it more complicated. And I'm not against churches. I'm I'm against people feeling that, that, that there is something between them and God, because right. there's not. We all have our own telephone line to God. We do mm-hmm. not have to go through somebody else. And the church, in trying to keep its power and control, made humans feel like they had to go through the priest to get to God or go through Mary to get to God. And... Mm-hmm. Um, we're all children of God. We all can connect with him. Absolutely. And he, Jesus was a remarkable person, a remarkable um, ambassador for a greater right. truth. Right. And, good way, and, nice, nicely you know, said. <laughs> he did a good job. Um, we only have a couple minutes left. I want to, I, I, I do want to thank you so much again for sharing your wisdom with us and, and remind people that, that Skyships Over Cashiers is something you must check out. If you have any curiosity at all about anything, check it out because the archives are there for the last 10 or 12 years as well so that um, you, can, you can see that this lady has been a very busy lady in, in, in her spare time. Um, and I don't know when you had the time to do all this, but my theory but anyhow, is if, what- if If people want to learn about any of the books that we've mentioned, if you go to skyshipsilvercashers.com, on the home page, there is a heading on the left that says Editor's Corner. Click on uh-huh. that, scroll way down to the bottom, and there will be information about the books. Oh, cool. They're, they're, all, they're all phenomenal. They're worth a read. They're worth having in your library um, and on your, on your coffee table for people to p- pick up. And I buy two of each because I seem to be lending them out more, more than anything else, and every now and then they don't come back. But, but I'm very confident they find another good home. Um, Mary, again, I thank you so much. Is there some place you're going to be talking or something you're going to be doing that you want to get out there? Uh, I'm just doing local stuff right now and, and uh, nothing that uh, anybody on a national level wants to hear. So, uh. <laughs> so, so we'll just send them to Skyships over cashiers because um, and you 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 will be blown away by the way she presents her material. It it makes it so simple to see and understand, and it will make you want to learn more and and delve in more. And the archives are there for you to do that too. So. And the books are all available through Amazon. Who everybody knows about Amazon. Everybody does, and and they're well worth having. So thank you again, and um, I will. We look forward to talking to you next month sometime. 